0: Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com/wandery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com/wandery.
1: The overall sentiment from the actual IAs couldn't be worse. It's just been mainly a crypto story where this is everything we said it was. It was tulip bulbs. It's going to zero. Clients shouldn't be invested in it. And there were tweets that were dig up of advisors talking about their clients being in Celsius. It got bad, right? Stop telling your clients, oh, you can get yield here. You can go to BlockFi. You can do this or that. If you don't know how they're getting that yield and you haven't researched it, but you just want to be the cool advisor, it'll come back to haunt you. And I think a lot of there was a lot of haunting. Welcome back to The Breakdown with me, NLW.
2: It's a daily podcast on macro, Bitcoin, and the big picture power shifts remaking our world. The Breakdown is sponsored by Nexo.io, Circle, and FTX, and produced and distributed by Coindesk. What's going on, guys? It is Monday, November 7th, and today we are featuring an excellent Breakdown interview with none other than Tyrone Ross. But before we get into that, however, if you are enjoying The Breakdown, please go subscribe to it, give it a rating, give it a review, or if you want to dive deeper into the conversation, come join us on The Breakers Discord. You can find a link in the show notes or go to bit.ly slash Also a disclosure, as always, in addition to them being a sponsor of the show, I also work with FTX. All right, folks. Well, today I welcome back Tyrone Ross to the show. Tyrone got involved in crypto through the path of wealth management and thinking about how investment advisors could be a vehicle for more adoption. His journey has led him to both think about what the crypto industry needs to do to open itself up to this new cohort of investors, but also how investment advisors need to think differently more broadly, not just with regard to crypto, but specifically in terms of generational attitudes and norms around money. He's now leading two projects coming directly at that. Turnkey Labs, which is building APIs to get better data from crypto to IRAs in the TradFi space, as well as 401 Financial, which is a next-generation investment advisory practice. In this conversation, we discuss the bear market, the state of wealth and financial advice, and why institutions just keep flooding in. All right, Tyrone, welcome back to The Breakdown. How are you doing, sir?
1: I'm great, man. Good to see you again. This is going to be fun.
2: Yeah. I'm so excited for this. You know, I've wanted to catch up for for a while on the show. Uh, You know, we were just talking before. I think you have sort of a, a privileged seat to a lot of things that I think are happening right now that are hallmarks of uh, and reflective of uh, th- this particular bear market. So I'm excited to dig into them. But just by way of kind of uh, both introducing yourself and or for people who are familiar catching up, you have recently launched two different new companies. And I think they kind of help frame maybe the, the parts of both this space and just in general kind of what you're interested in. So let, let's talk a little bit about about each of them uh, and, and, you know, maybe maybe use that as a way to kind of introduce yourself and your story, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think those that, when they hear about the two companies, they they immediately see my vision of what I'm trying to accomplish here, right? Like when you you know build AWS, the first customer should be Amazon, right? So uh, I'm the principal and founder of 401 Financial, which is a registered investment advisor that is serving that 25 to 45 segment um, digital. First, with the human experience, um, crypto hippies, of course, right, because I'm very much in the crypto rabbit holes and advisor for going on eight years now, which is crazy. Um, And that's kind of where my background started. I got introduced to Crypto Merrill Lynch back in 2015 and been doing crypto ever since. So the RAA is set up to work with a younger audience that is looking for an advisor, kind of do it yourself, but definitely want a tech driven experience. We have an awesome tech stack that we built. Um, and that is coming off the heels of some folks know that I was a CEO and co-founder of Ramp. We were building technology for advisors, so I've been front and center with this for a really long time. Even with my RAA before, um, trying to get solutions, and there was just nothing there. The 401 financials also as acting as an incubator for my new tech startup Turnkey T U R N Q E Y which again, as I told you, I'm not going to say the plat of crypto, but just think of it. The tagline is integrator aggregator marketplace, right? So we basically want to take all of the data from the crypto ecosystem. As you know, and others know in the space, it's not accurate. It's fragmented. It's hard to get data that is clean and concise, especially for advisors, because we need to look into a client's financial picture and we need that accurate. So we're taking all that data, cleaning it, standardizing it, and then putting it in APIs and piping that into uh, the platforms that REAs and and advisors use. So the goal and my master plan here is, as we were building our technology stack for 401, we don't have anything in our stack right now that has complete crypto data. I knew that. And I knew that that was going to be an issue. And I'm blessed now to have relationships with a lot of CEOs of these companies. And they're like, well, Tyrone, where are we going to get really good data? I'm like, well, I got the solution. Um, so that's why I'm building Turnkey. So as we integrate Turnkey into some of these platforms, it'll make our data inside of 401 better. And it will be able to say, hey, here's NLW's crypto portfolio and how we were able to advise him before. But here's what it looks like now where we're able to see all of his NFTs, not only the floor prices, but the individual prices of the NFTs. We can track hops hops across exchanges. We can calculate unrealized, realized cost basis. We can help him with with his estate planning. We can help him with a a billing model that works so we don't have to bill on the crypto. He has full control. So it's it's a really neat model that I think when the two come together, folks will really see what I think is the future, which is an AUA, right? Assets under advisement, non-custodial, not non-custodial mean hardware, wallet, whatever, but just non-custodial, meaning the clients are going to have assets everywhere, right? You could buy crypto with a firm right now, right? And then discretion where NLW is going to say to Tyrone, I want you to have discretion over my accounts, not necessarily to trade them, but I want to give you discretion to be able to see them, pull them into your software, and then give me advice and guide me on making changes. So
2: there's a lot I think that's super interesting here. Uh, So first... A lot of this for you, I think, you know, one of the common themes that sort of we've always talked about when we've been together is your interest in updating the role that wealth advisors and wealth management can have in helping people think about their portfolios and why it's sort of historically, from the standpoint of crypto in particular... Kind of an underexamined area where you know, as we think about sort of expansion or or kind of evangelism for these new areas of the financial sector, it wasn't like there were people out evangelizing RIAs, despite the fact that they were sort of front lines for a lot of their clients. Yeah, what's kind of interesting about about where you've taken it with with four hundred one and, and particularly the combination of four hundred one and turnkey is that in some ways you're 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 doing kind of two things simultaneously. One, you are are you clearly still thinking about how that sort of subset can be more of a sort of an asset supporter connected to crypto, right? That's sort of the the data play. But you're also, I think, uh, obviously taking on what that sort of sector should be like for a new generation of clients. You you know, crypto is obviously a, a uh, going to be a prominent part of them, uh, particularly for you, you know, kind of people know you from this sector. But I imagine that the goal of 401, you know, crypto is not incidental. I don't want to mean it's kind of in a diminishing way, but it's sort of, it's a native part. But what you're trying to do is a better experience sort of writ large, whether someone cares about crypto or not. Is that is that
1: accurate? 100%. So our whole treasury is crypto, right? Gnosis safe, Moltis, like it's pretty slick, but that's behind the scenes. That's our piping. But if you look at what I, it's funny, I just posted our, our updated branding on and, and marketing uh, material on Twitter. It should look and feel like nothing that's out there, the colors, the music, the background. So yeah, we set it up where we're getting so many folks that are working with an advisor for the first time or folks that are leaving an advisor saying, that's what I want when I want to work with a firm, right? So it is very much built with the client in mind. Right. Our experience is top notch. We use a notion for our CRM, which is blowing people's minds. Our financial plans are interactive. We can send videos and looms inside of the plans. We're using a company called Kubera, which is probably the best fintech I've seen, especially as wealth tech is concerned, um, as our hub, if you will, um, of where we build everything around. Um, We are essentially around the clock. Clients can reach out when they want. We're only taking 25 clients to start. Clients get NFTs, right? They have NFTs to provide access to the gated things that we do. All encompassing. It's different. We don't use the term wealth management. I think the term wealth management is inherently exclusive. As you know me, I'm an inclusive person. I want everyone to feel like they could come to 401 and get the advice that they need on their terms, not ours. Um, And we're not AUM. That's the other thing as well. We're not AUM. We are an AUA model, right? Or flat fee subscription where you pay us 500 bucks a month, but you get a family office in your pocket. And I would put our offering in terms of what we're doing, investment management, financial planning, everything. I'll put it up against whatever else is out there. And we're more than, you know, 50 percent. Sometimes 75% less than what's out there. So we're excited about what we've built, but it plays right into what you said. It it should look and feel different. And I think we accomplished that.
2: So this is actually a a great segue into into something that I wanted to kind of catch up with you about. One of the, the kind of common threads or one of the interesting aspects of crypto that's sometimes discussed, not always, is... Why the sort of permissionless nature of it has been so disruptive in terms of how people think about or are invited to think about their own kind of wealth creation process, right? You know, so if you take kind of a traditional perspective, I think there's broadly speaking a perception that or historically speaking, investing is for people who are already wealthy, right? Mm -hmm. You don't see a lot of discussion of investing as a mechanism for wealth creation, perhaps wealth expansion, but it sort of starts with wealth, right? Like even that word wealth is not something that people kind of associate until they start associating with that, that, that with themselves. They don't think that necessarily investing is for them. Part of what's been so disruptive about the last few years and it's come with a lot of bad too, but is between crypto, between Robinhood and meme stocks and all these things, you've started to see a shift in that discussion where people actually start to have this sort of identity, this investor identity that becomes kind of a part of them. Mm-hmm. The challenge is that you know, especially with sort of the Wall Street bets period and certain parts of crypto, it's also kind of been uh, often a cynical thing too. A kind of a you know, if the system's going to give me nothing, I'm going to kind of rewrite the rules to to make it work for myself. Yep. How have you seen that played out over the course of the last? you know, the the transition maybe from the bull market to the bear market in the sense of, you know, as you're interacting with people, as you're seeing kind of sentiment shifts, how do you see the kind of the, the larger trajectory of people feeling, you know, even if they're they're kind of not wealthy yet, that they have a path to actually making money? And this could be, this is not just crypto, this is sort of crypto and beyond.
1: Yeah, it's one of the things that has me energized, which is why I wanted to start my own firm and kind of lead the way there. Because I think what you've seen is, and and I've been saying this for so long, and you and again you've heard this before. If crypto did nothing else, it just shined this big light in the corner of this gap of financial services in general. Like you guys are just missing the mark. There's so many people here you're not helping. It's slow. It's expensive, right? So there's been a lot of solutions built out, and I think if you look at the data of whether it's RIAs that have been launched, right? Think about this. Every RIA in existence, right? Half of them, half have been launched since the end of 2014. It's a growing market where advisors are coming in and starting RIAs and saying, all right, here's a way for me to help more people and be really niche in what I offer. You've had Your embedded finance kind of take hold now where there's super apps that add budgeting and investment management and all these other things. So now people don't feel like they have to work with an advisor. And then you're starting to see a lot of traditional firms move to a hybrid experience. We talk about the DeFi mullet in our space, but I think you're kind of getting that with wealth management where it used to be my firm, I'm an advisor, it's the client, Right. I work at Merrill Lynch. I'm the advisor at Merrill Lynch. You're the client. I give you advice. Now it's client led. <laughs> the clients are setting the standard. And then it's I want to work with an advisor like Tyrone and LW. And then where are you again? Oh, 401. Oh, OK. Like what comes with that? So it's it's flipped. And the clients now are in control of that because they have so many awesome options. And I think because of that, what you're seeing is now RAAs and independent broker dealers and hybrids and wirehouses have to chase that rabbit, but it's completely accessible. Business models are changing as well, right? Folks that are billing like us on a subscription, the AUM, set it and forget it. I'm going to charge you 1% on whatever. That's being challenged. I think the data is starting to prove that out as well. And I just think you're seeing overall, we're in a time where if you are not in someone's pocket, if you're not in their pocket, you just don't exist. Like you have to be where they are, and they're doing everything from their phones. You can see this transition for a long time now. And that's why, like, we have a web app with 401. Like, we're in your pocket. You need two apps when you work with us: a Notion app for your plan, and you need Kubera. And it's in there 401 financial. You you click it, your whole financial life is in there. There's nothing we don't miss. And I think that's what every firm is going to have to evolve to. And I think We're only, again, chasing that rabbit because right now, I'm sure for you, most of, in mind, most of the financial apps, they're in your pocket.
0: Want to keep more profits when trading? Get the best possible prices and trade with 50% lower fees on Nexo Pro. The new Spot and Futures trading platform uses aggregated liquidity of over 3,000 order books collected from multiple sources. Utilizing the complete Nexo suite allows you to earn interest and borrow funds as you wait for the next trade setup. Visit pro.nexo.io, that's pro.nexo.io, and sign up today. This episode is brought to you by Circle, the sole issuer of USDC, and a leader in crypto that's held to a higher standard. USDC is a fast, safe, and efficient way to send money around the globe.
2: The <laughs> How have you seen among your clients, sort of how, how are their sort of attitudes or how are they thinking about where we are from a market's perspective, perspective right now? And this could be sort of crypto in general. It's kind of a, a sentiment analysis. Are people depressed? Are they kind of like, you know, frustrated, but understand kind of where in the cycle we are? Is there, you know, growing, you know, whatever? I'm just kind of interested because you have so many different conversations across lots of different types of folks, that sort of frontline view of how people feel right now is super interesting to me.
1: So I will say this: I've never seen in my in my again in my eight years I haven't seen the sentiment as bad as it is in the wealth management space. Like during this bear, it's bad. Like there's just it's a no go in the wealth management RA advisory space. It's just it's just not happening. My clients are bad proxy because they've been through it with me before. They kind of understand it, so they're not like, "Oh, this sucks." It's just kind of like. We should be accumulating, right? Like this is. Yep. You go a layer deeper with just broad conversations. I do think there are a lot of people that are just like, "I'm never coming back," which is unfortunate because they got sold a dream, right? Um, and I've had some conversations like that. It's funny having this conversation with you on the heels of doing a um, an event last week for Philly Financial Week, right? Of, of having a conversation about DeFi and what DeFi means you know, could mean, and I think it does mean currently to underserved communities and everything else. And you can tell folks have that, I burnt my tongue on a slice of pizza, right? Like, I don't even know if I want pizza anymore, right? So trying to get them to understand, no, you, you got to stay, you got to understand that this is something that you should learn, should ask questions, you should do it better the next time, you should be diversified, so on and so forth. So I think there's some hard lessons still, which is why, again, I think we, and I say we, one, me and you, as what we what I feel are leaders in the space. We, as in financial advisors, and then we as a black man and people of color that our people came into this in mass because they feel like it's their opportunity. We got to stay in front of educating people and getting them to understand there's a right way to do this. It's still very early. There's still a lot you don't know. It is complicated, um, but I don't. I and I it's it's hard for me because being in the space, I've never been more bullish. To see the things that are being built and the founders that I talk to and the conversations that I'm having, as you know, I am uber bullish. I think this next bull run is going to be, and I'm not a price target guy, but this is going to be a face ripper here. But also talking to individuals, again, our clients is one thing, but just talking to people on the street, I do think people are they've just been led astray. And that was the one thing that bothered me. I think this run up, which is different from the one in 17, 18, there were a lot of scams, man. A lot of people got scammed. A lot of people lost money. A lot of people got hurt. So I think it's a mixed bag. But as far as where I stay, the ecosystem of, of RAs and wealth management, sentiment has never been worse. It's kind of, it was a lot of dancing on the graves, if you will, on Twitter and in social media.
2: When it comes to that kind of wealth management sentiment, does that also have to do with just the fact that we're, I mean, this is part of a kind of a broader macro shift that's the first time in you know a, a significant number of years that we've actually had monetary policy driving things down? Or is this sort of super crypto-specific?
1: Great question. I think it's super crypto-specific mixed in with the macro because when it was the institutions are coming or we want to get advisors in, what were they selling them? It's a safe haven. It's a store of value. It's, and it was all busted, Right. And that, that's why it always bothered me about that. About that, using that narrative with the CIOs of RA's, where I've spoken to a ton and a lot of different people. The other part of it is it was very easy to say, and, and think about this, you know as well as I do. The market was kind of headed down before all the hacking and the Terra Luna stuff started. It was starting to crack. So then, all right. Rates started to rise, the macro environment started to shift, and then, you know, dollar strength pressured Bitcoin and so on and so forth, right? So goes Bitcoin, so goes the market. But then the hacks started to happen and the scams. And it was just, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And a lot of advisors were kind of like, and a lot of wealth managers and anyone building in space were faced with that now. It was too much to overcome. And it just got ice cold. We're not doing it. It's scammy. There's still things missing. We're not doing it. And what's interesting is from March to June, I was on the road talking to every RIA, traveling everywhere, just having conversations and a little inside baseball here. I resigned from Onramp March 1st. March 3rd, I was sitting in Omaha, Nebraska. I was meeting with Carson. Um, and those that know Carson, Carson is a $16 billion RIA, massive Is it the biggest? No, but it's just big in terms of the size of a firm. 5,000 coaching advisors, I think 200 advisors at the firm. Also met with the CEO of Orion, Eric Clark. Again, Orion is a stalwart of advisor tech, right? $60 billion RAA. They have $1.2 billion of AUA assets. And I borrowed an office at Carson and I was having a conversation. It was already set up with the folks at BlackRock and Aladdin. And they were basically going through their paces, just having conversations about what they ultimately announced. At that moment, I realized I'm like, there are in conversations with Betterment, had a lot of conversations behind the scenes. So when I left, I knew that this wave was coming. But I didn't think it would be it it would happen like now where it's just the sentiment is awful. But you're just starting to see announcement after announcement after announcement, which is interesting to me because the overall sentiment from the actual IAs couldn't be worse. But the providers and the infrastructure providers to advisors are just, again, setting the, the road ahead. Um, so it's been interesting, man, but it's it's just been mainly a crypto story where, all right, this is everything we said it was. It was tulip bulbs, it's going to zero, right? We should, clients shouldn't be invested in it. And there were tweets that were dig up of advisors talking about their clients being in Celsius. It got it got bad. So it was a whole thing to me where I was like, all right, advisors need to learn. There's something called the warehouse house I was selling away, right? Stop selling away. You're telling your clients, "Oh, you can get yield here. You can go to BlockFi. Or you can do this, or that." If you don't know how they're getting that yield and you haven't, you know, researched it, but you just want to be the cool advisor, it'll come back to haunt you. And I think a lot of there was a lot of haunting once the price dropped seventy five percent super interesting so
2: i, I want to come back to this um this interesting disconnect between sentiment and what we've seen from traditional finance players because that's i think to me one of the most fascinating parts of this bear market just to stay for one more moment on sort of the the sentiment down you know one i think that it's interesting it does feel like there's an interesting opportunity to the extent that a broader base of investment advisors understanding this space is a one of the ways of, you know, we talk about consumer protection, like it's only a government thing, but that's a potential area, you know, the, the, the sort of common sense thing that you just said about, if you don't understand where the yield is coming from, don't kind of advise it, you know, yeah, I think that seems like a real interesting opportunity to kind of, you know, improve how things go the next time around. I guess we're, were there, you know, of these sort of, of the breaks that happened this year, Terra Celsius, sort of, you know, what has been kind of tops in terms of where that uh, where that negative sentiment is coming from, For, I, maybe particularly in the context of not just like what advisors have said in terms of why they've turned away, but in terms of what people have actually experienced.
1: Um, that's a really great question. There is so many I can I dig into here, but I think the one that kept coming up a lot in a lot of the conversations that I've having, no matter where I was, was Celsius. Mm -hmm. And it was it was just a poster child for these yields are nuts. There has to be some incredible risk that comes along with these yields. Right. And then you had Voyager. Right. And you throw BlockFi in that. And BlockFi. Right. Was something that advisors were very familiar with. Right. And again, big love Zach. I think Zach is is done tremendous things for the space and and tried to do the best he could to be forthright with this whole thing, but, you know, has been on with animal spirits and the folks at Rit Holtz or whatever. So he's kind of been around that space. So advisors knew that. And I think it was the whole yield generation thing, right. And how are you getting this yield? And then also juxtaposing it with where rates were just in a macro environment. And then when that shift started, And then you started to see rates rise and then things come down and then again, compounding that again when everything else was happening, hacks and so on and so forth. It was very easy for advisors to say it was a house of cards. It was built on nothing. Right. And I think that's just kind of they looped everything into it. So then the conversation became the regulatory environment. Right. Of this is why using these third-party platforms and, and there's no investor protections and there's no regulation and all of it was false, right? There is some protections there, not the ones we would we absolutely need and expect. But to your point, advisors play a role in protecting investors, right? So Celsius kept coming up a lot, right? Because of the whole banking aspect of it, there, there was a lot of things there that advisors could pick at. Um, and I think that one came up the most but I think the, the other part of it is that this is, it doesn't get a lot of headlines and it probably never will, is if you look at what an advisor does, advisors are there to help a client achieve their financial goals, whatever those goals is And working with the client and identifying risk. Client's risk tolerance. What is your risk tolerance, Mr. and Mrs. Client? What do you own? And then we do this analysis to figure out if you have the appropriate amount of risk based on where you went, so on and so forth. And that right there is the risk analysis or the lack thereof. How does advisors look at this space and identify risk, right? Identify it and manage it. There was nothing there. And I think that's what it just left this gaping hole where that was the whole thing. That every It was just they put their finger in it. There's no risk control. There's no risk management. So I think that's the thing that didn't really get talked about. Um, and that whole thing that you're just getting in this space and there's no risk control. there's no way to identify or to quantify it for yourself or for clients
2: it's really interesting I, i'll i'll wrap this part but so one of the things that i have thought since defi summer is that part of why part of why defi hadn't stopped itself out You know, it wasn't basically killed itself in the cradle kind of a thing is that the barriers to entry were so high that even when people lost big big amounts or there were these hacks or things like that, they were uh, the people who experienced those losses really knew what they were getting themselves into. You know what I mean? It doesn't make it less painful for them, but like they knew the game because it's so technologically complex. You didn't have just people wandering off the street. And I think in a lot of ways, you can look at the things that failed the most in 2022 as effectively um, they, they socialized DeFi losses to people who didn't have to have that sort of technological barrier to entry. So I think Terra, I mean, basically... That was a DeFi product that all you had to do to have exposure to it was buy the core token, right? So it's like no no bar- big barrier to entry there. And I think you can make the same argument for the kind of yield generating services, like to the extent that they were generating yield on the basis of being exposed to those DeFi products. All you had to do was, I mean, there's still some barrier to entry, but it wasn't a lot. Yep, and uh, and and I think that in, in a lot of ways, you know, when you look back at kind of 2022's legacy, that was the barriers to entry fell, you know, yep. and so and, and so that that kind of happened. But going back to this kind of point that you you started to kind of uh, give give a first hand account for, so you're seeing this sort of sentiment shift down, but at the same time, what some of us might have expected, institutions kind of abandoning it, saying screw that that you know that was over the old narratives have failed we have seen nothing but a steady drumbeat of uh, of basically TradFi institutions expanding their offerings, building infrastructure. And, you know, I've been calling this post-narrative institutionalization because they're clearly not out here trying to win headlines, even if mm-hmm. a thing gets kind of announced. You know, it's it's really not that sort of same game. It's clearly positioning for the future. But I mean, how, it sounds like that's been your experience as well, just given that kind of BlackRock conversation. But is that what you're seeing is sort of these, you know, the the big players just doing nothing but kind of expand while, even while sentiment is so low.
1: Yes, it is one of the th- again being behind the scenes and being privy to a lot of it um, and then seeing some things that are that are still astounding, astounding to me like Nasdaq <laughs> announcing custody, like think about that. A traditional stock exchange announced crypto custody. The BlackRock Coinbase news was huge. The reasons that I said it was huge wasn't what everyone else was saying. It's the Aladdin piece, because now that's core infrastructure for advisors to quantify risk, manage portfolios, do all these other things. And there was a lot of back and forth about what, what it meant for RAs and what it didn't um, from people in the space. It meant everything for RAs. And if you, if you said it didn't, you just didn't know the space. Aladdin is, again, probably one of the most successful fintechs ever built which is why I tweeted that day. I'm like, there are a lot of product teams Googling Aladdin right now. <laughs> That's a big one. Uh, what Bitco announced with their wealth management um, offering, you know, Plaid, with what they just announced, Google, right? You can search, um, you know, Ethereum addresses in Google. Uh, InvestNet, what they announced with, uh, well, first of all, Gemini buying Bitria and then, you know, InvestNet making the announcement with Gemini, um, a lot of these folks moving to Tamps, Eagle Brook with Franklin Templeton, it's out of control, right? And these are all big names, you know, uh, Schwab, Fidelity, um, Citadel, right? They launching an exchange, like it's just incredible. But I, there's one common theme, and I, and, I, and I don't think people seeing what's going on there, it's all infrastructure, because everyone knew when we got to okay, let's just say at the top, we weren't three trillion in market cap. Flawed metric, as we both know. Let's just say it was 1.5. Fine. Say it was half of that. That was out a dollar of meaningful advisory wealth management money. And you're talking about $120 trillion space all in. If you just go to the wealth management side, you're probably talking five to seven trillion. There's two trillion in TAMPs alone, turnkey asset management platforms alone. So this next run up, Advisors are going to have all the tools that they need to, to ma- meaningfully get into the space. And I think all of these announcements, you just hold your head and go, oh, man, like there's nothing that are going to stop the inflows from these folks now when they get in. But there's so, so many more that we can go through. Lastly, if you look at it, true to Wall Street and true to institutions, you want institutions in, you know what they do? They're seasoned at buying low. And announcing when it's low, and accumulating when it's low, and then they'll ride it all the way up, and then they're going to dump on retail. It's going to happen again. It's going to happen, right? And if you if you zoom out, you can see that's what's happening here. Everyone is again. Fidelity just announced now you can, you know, get Ethereum access to Ethereum and trade it on their platform. It's it's just silly the things that you that you can do. So, I think this next run up is going to be interesting. But you're just seeing now the seasoned, smart, well-heeled investor are putting our, their roots in the ground now while retail has, again, ran away and it's going to run up. And the next time it's going higher and higher and higher, they're going to jump back in, rinse, repeat.
2: This is weird, but you know, apologies for sort of eternal optimism. But do you think that there's uh, – <laughs> and this is something I haven't really thought through, but <sighs> – Is there a world in which the fact that the average person who gets into crypto could just buy a little bit, you know, like less than 1% of their portfolio because it's through the same portfolio actually makes, turns down the volume on like the sort of insanity of the space? And what I mean by that is almost like if you look at previous bull markets, if you got to the point of conviction in the space enough to actually jump through the hoops to get in there, you weren't doing just kind of like a casual 1% of your portfolio or something like that, right? You're going all in and yep. you're all of a sudden you're plugging in your ledger and you're doing crazy. <laughs> shit and you're, you know, you're going to DEXs and stuff. Yep. Whereas like, you know, for the vast majority of people who just wanted, it's kind of like this different type of asset class. that seems to have stuck around. Is there sort of a, uh, a, a, the potential that it actually, you know, People who might have gone way more ham in ways that wouldn't have been good for them can actually get in at a healthier level because the they, they have their first kind of access experience through platforms that they already work with who are more traditional and conservative by nature.
1: Yep. Wait for it, right? It's coming. Fidelity is going to make it available to retail. They've already showed their hand there. That's going to happen. They made that announcement months ago. i never forget. I was about to walk into a room and talk to a group of advisors up in Oregon um, about making it available at 401ks, right? And all the plan administrators are like, no way, we're not doing that. It's going to come. And I think that's exactly right. When you look at what's out there now, what retail has access to, right? 100 million accounts at Coinbase. You got 50 million accounts at Cash App, 10 million of which trade Bitcoin. You got 20 plus million accounts at Robinhood. When it's just easy inside of a Fidelity, a Schwab, when it's easy in any of these platforms for someone to just say, "All right, I'm building this little, you know, nest egg for myself," or I just want to start investing, and it's just right there. You're absolutely right. I think that's it's going to be so much easier, and it will bring down a lot of the the hype. And I need to go jump out and do all this crazy stuff. And then also, I think that's when we move from mass acceptance to mass adoption. Right? We're not at mass adoption yet, as much as people want to say that. We're at peak mass acceptance, where it's like, all right, it's not going away. I think that's what you're seeing with these announcements. And right when you cross over to mass adoption, it'll be people just saying it. Hey, I just put a little bit of Bitcoin in my whatever, Betterment account with whatever, right? So that's, that's going to be a really interesting thing. And then you're starting to see already that those folks putting the pieces on the chessboard, Fidelity, Schwab, um, you know, you got all these different index providers now, FTSE, Russell, S&P Global, all these folks are trying to move around to get to make it easy, right? The easy button, if you will. But that's a that's really good point. And I think that is the next step.
2: Tyrone, I could, could talk to you for hours, but just as, as a way to wrap up, you know, as you look out over the next three to six months, call it, what's sort of the the worst thing that could happen? What's the best thing that could happen? You can take that from, from any perspective uh, in markets or crypto.
1: The worst thing that can happen as far as markets, I'll segment it, crypto markets, I think there's just some heavy handed regulation and no one expected. And they just they completely freeze everything. Right. Which I'm very worried about, by the way, I don't have confidence in this administration. I think they're going to wield a heavy hand here. As far as markets overall, I think as long as things continue to happen internationally that the dollar just continues to be the best investment ever and it continues to strengthen that's not that's not going to be good right and then you know inflation just doesn't cool off I think if it continues to stay here or even heats up more it could get really really bad man and then I think everyone knows what comes next after that is housing the housing market is just is it's in the kill shot the best thing I think is the antithesis to that. Where we get some regulation is regulation light, right? Uh, by the way, don't understand why SBF is getting killed like this. But first it was Nick Carter, then him is really making me angry the way crypto behaves sometimes. Very thoughtful, pragmatic. I understand if you're really a crypto hippie, that there were some things in there you didn't like. But we are, we need to get meaningful regulation. I, I've been lucky enough to have a closed-door meeting with Cory Booker. I think he gets it. Um, and have some conversations behind the scenes that I think are going to be thoughtful. But if we get regulation, just a, a nice framework, and lastly with that, where the SEC and the CFTC comes out and gives unified guidance, in my opinion, I think markets rip. In my opinion, I think markets rip. Meaning, meaningfully, if the SEC and, and especially crypto markets, if the SEC and CFTC comes out and unified guidance on what is the path is moving forward over the next – three to six months, I think you'll see a meaningful move um, because now everyone knows what the rules of the game are, right? And then it's just, all right, full steam ahead. And all that infrastructure we just spoke about for the last 25 minutes will start to come into play.
2: Yep. Tyrone, awesome to have you here as always. Let's set a calendar for six months. We'll come back and check in on this.
1: (laughs) No doubt, my man. Let's do it. Appreciate you having me on as always.
2: Part of why I love having Tyrone on the show and why I think he's so disruptive is that there is this inherent idea that has been propagated forever. That investing is for the already rich, and that wealth creation is only for the wealthy already. You actually, for a long time, have had dual narratives. If you're rich, you invest. If you're poor, you save. Just go ask any Bitcoiner how saving versus investing would have done you over the last 10 or 15 years. I love that there's a new movement to include more different types of people in these worlds of investing. Crypto is a big part of it, but it's not just crypto. I'm glad to see people like Tyrone taking on the infrastructure of that, because it's one thing for me to talk about it on the show. It's another thing for people to have resources to actually help them on their journey. Anyways, I always find it encouraging when I talk to disruptors like that, so I hope you enjoyed it as well. For now, I want to say thanks again to Tyrone for being on the show, to my sponsors Nexo.io, Circle, and FTX for supporting the show, and thanks to you guys for listening. Until tomorrow, be safe and take care of each other. Peace.